And this morning, I want to begin to lay the foundation on the reality of prayer. The reality of prayer. And then, as you always know, we begin from a place of foundation. And then we begin, we continue to build from one level of, from one step to other. It's important, the heart of any God-appointed teacher is not merely to fascinate you, it's to take you from one level of glory to another. Somebody say loud, amen. And that shall be your experience in the name of Jesus. Now, we want to talk about the reality of prayer. And the first reason we want to deal with this is to correct the two excesses. There are two excesses. One excess are those who have made God out of prayer. Prayer has become their God. And those are those who measure your Christian life by how many hours you pray. And so you may hear somebody say something like this. A Christian who prays one hour is better than the one who prays 15 minutes. And don't forget, that's how religious people measured spirituality before Christ came. Don't forget. That's how they measure spirituality. So if you prayed longer, you were more spiritual. If you fasted more, you were more spiritual. That's how they measured it. Don't forget, because they were men in the flesh. Please follow me very carefully. That's how they measured spirituality. So if you prayed longer hours, you are very spiritual. If you fasted more, you are very spiritual. If you read your Bible, I did that. I read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, cover to cover. Uh, it didn't help me. I only got more confused. Right. Now, so, spirituality was measured based on activity. And that's why it really never transformed them. I'm sure you have seen that. You have seen a lot of people who, quote-unquote, are deeply spiritual. They can fast. They can pray. But when you come to deal with them, there's nothing. Have you seen people like that before? They talk Christianese all the time. But give the man 5,000 to do business, then the Christianity will turn upside down. Give the man, trust the man with just 50K, only 50K. The tongues will turn to bitter tongues. Just 50K. Why? Because they have majored in activity and not understanding the excess of being spiritual. And so, don't forget what I want to discuss with you this morning. And the reason is because this week, if you follow the teachings daily, I've been talking about meditation. I've been talking about bringing forth to light all that we have received. Then the other extreme, which we need to correct, are those who say, well, Christ has done any everything, then we don't need to pray. That's also an error. I need you to listen to me carefully. Those who make prayer, those who make God out of a prayer. They are not even interested in God. What they are interested in fulfilling what they think, how long they think they need to do it so that God will, you know, to appease God. Let me put it that way. The other extreme are those who say, well, God, Christ has done everything. We don't need to pray. I need you to listen to me carefully. Those both extremes are wrong. And that's what I'm trying to correct. Praise God. Don't forget the word of God is given for correction and for rebuke and training. I love it. He said it's for training in righteousness. Don't forget what God is doing for you and I is to retrain us so that we become better and then do better. Somebody say loud amen. And Jesus says it this way. If the tree be good, the fruit thereof will be good. Religion focuses on trying to get you to do good works. The gospel focuses on getting you to be good. 
Because if you are good, you are worth to be good. Is that true? Now, now you can't understand that. Religion focuses on trying to tell you what you must do, the things that you have to do. No, the gospel is to heal the man, is to make the man whole. Out of a good man will come a good fruit. Is that true? Does that make sense to everyone? Very good. It's not difficult. And so the teachings of the gospel is designed. So when we say that in this place, if you pay heed to the message, if you open up your heart to the message, first of all, it will transform you as a person. And then when you are good, the fruit that will, in fact, when you do bad, you know, you don't need anybody to wage you. Now, the second reason I want to do this teaching is also because of those who just, who are coming in. So you have to understand because there are things I might say that will confuse you, things that you will not understand. So you have to know why we say things the way we say it or do some things and don't do some other things. Note, I want to make this clear. There is something we are not saying. I want you to understand this. There is something we are not saying. We are not saying this thing. Number one, listen to me carefully. We are not saying that God has changed. Listen to me very carefully. We are not saying that God has changed. Why is that? Because God does not uh, change. Who he was at the beginning, if there was a beginning for him. Remember, beginning only exists for us. He does not change. So we are not preaching that God has changed. I know I'm laying this foundation. There are those who will hear what you say. They say, well, are you not saying that God has changed? We are not saying that God has changed. I want you to pay attention to that. What we are saying is that the redemption, listen to me carefully, redemption, the prophecies, the plans of God concerning the redemption of man has already been completed. Because it has been completed, the way we relate with God now is different from how we used to relate with him before. Does that make sense? We are not saying that God has changed. What we are saying is that the Bible is full of prophecies. The Bible is full of um, promises. Thank you, sir. Thank you for giving me the word. The Bible is full of prophecies, of promises, and all those prophecies and promises were fulfilled in Christ. Now, this is something that you need to be certain about. Give me Hebrews. This is the only scripture I read for today. I'm just looking from the Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 8. Hebrews 13, verse number 8. Okay, let's read everybody with a loud voice with me. One, two, go. Jesus, the anointed one, is always the same yesterday, today, and Let's read that again. Jesus, the anointed one, is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. Next line. Give me the next line. So, watch this. Watch this. When you read the scripture, try to see what the Spirit of God is leading you to understand. That's why, that's why the letters are important, but you've got to understand the Spirit behind it. 
Well, first of all, it lays that concrete foundation because there's something he wants to say. So you have to understand. Don't go, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then, no, 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 no. Remember, he goes from thought to thought, word to word, line by line. After he has said that, he now says, because Jesus, listen to this, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, does not change. Because of that, don't so, don't let anyone lead you astray with all sorts of what? Novel and exotic teachings. They always sound complicated. Say there's a deeper mystery. He said, that thing you are saying is true. But you know, there's another level to it. Ta, go and sit down. <laughs> and you know why they say that? They are, you have told them something that hits them. But perhaps their position is bigger than yours. So they don't want to learn from you. Out of pride, they say, no, 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 no. What you're saying is okay, but you know, I have another dimension. Look up here. There's no father who wants to be a mystery before his children. Is that true? No, no father wants to be a mystery. God himself came down and said, this is me. This one, not me. This is all I am. See me here. Look at what the Bible calls it. It's a novel. Mm. There's something new God is doing. There's another new dimension. It says exotic. Why is it novel and exotic? It appears to the flesh. I tell people, Jesus came and the primary work of Jesus was to reveal God to us as Father. And to give us an example, Jesus calls him Father everywhere. But men, see, it's so simple. So men refuse that one. They are coming up with all village names to call God. And listen to me carefully. You know the interesting thing about those village names? It excites your skin. Is that true? Yes. Huh? Right? When you call him, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what did you say? Ogranyanga danga. Onorehe lorehe. Eh, osete. You are thinking that God is man. Because when you call a man those names, it excites them. Is that true? But it excites their flesh. Rather than coming to the... Because the highest revelation you can see about God is that he's a loving father. Simple. So simple. God wants to make it simple so that everybody can understand it. It's man that tries to build the mystery in. Don't forget. Novel and exotic teaching. It's exotic. When you hear the, when you hear the language itself, you say go shake. You say go shake. I remember many years ago I encountered a, a pastor. When that guy starts to speak in tongues, you will stop and start to listen to him. Yes. I said, <coughs> this is really exotic. <laughs> this is really exotic. And at the end of it all, I caught him trying to abuse a little boy. Yes. Trying to abuse a little boy. But the tongues sounded exotic. Angelic tongues. Designer. <laughs> Designer's tongues. Listen to this, beloved. 
Don't let those things excite you. When you see men try to tell you, I was asleep and the Lord took me to the third heavens. Calm down. Be coming down small, small. And this is why today a lot of people don't accept the truth that we preach because it's so easy and so simple. But beloved, listen to me carefully. I've come to the place of rest when I accept that all things for me has to come with ease and grace. All things must come to me with ease and grace. May that word register in your heart with ease and grace. Because why? There's a hand behind pushing it for me. There's a divine power making all things work together for me. And so I stay at a place of rest like a sheep who has a shepherd. And suddenly, what the lion must hustle to get, my shepherd brings to me. is ease and grace. Look up what it says. It says, don't be led away with all sorts of novel and exalted teachings. Look at what it says. It is more beautiful to feast on what? It is more beautiful to feed. Look at it. It's a feast. You know, say eating and feasting are not the same thing. Good. To feast on grace because it's abundant. It's plenty of it. We eat of his grace. The Bible says of his grace have of out of him. That means out of Christ have we received grace after grace. He says, it is more beautiful to feast on grace and be inwardly strengthened. Look at this. The opposite, he says, than to be obsessed with what? Dietary rules. Is this in your Bible? Are you sure? <laughs> Look up here. Those who try to make your work with God difficult were never sent by God. I can tell you that. It's out of the darkness in their own mind. It's out of the error they have about God. That's why they present God to you in that way. For example, the African man, if it's not difficult, it looks like it's not God. I used to be there. If something is simple, I don't believe it's God. I never been there before. No, if something is simple, no, it can't be God. It has to be. It has to be hard. Now I got to try and hold now. I got, you know, I have to hustle for the thing. Then it's God. For me to give something, if I have not fasted for something, it doesn't come from God. Look at what he said. He said it is better. Now watch this. Don't forget the first line says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what has changed here is the way we respond to him. Before, there's a time it used to be about dietary rules under the law. Does that make sense? It used to be about dietary rules. He says, no, 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 no longer. Don't be obsessed with dietary rules. But instead, it is more beautiful to feast on what? Grace. Somebody say grace. Oh, I love that word. The grace of God. And I'll continue to teach and to preach on this grace. I preach excess grace. Beloved, let me tell you, until we preach grace that is excess, it will not change men. If you preach it like, oh, you know, there's the grace of God, but no. 
you must remove that board and teach the grace of God that is excess. Don't forget, if the tree is good, the fruit thereof will be good. The grace comes to make the tree good. Grace may ignore your weakness, but center on, on repairing you from the inside. Because when you are repaired on the inside, you rise above your weaknesses. Does that make sense? That's why he says, don't be obsessed with dietary rules, which in themselves have no lasting benefit. It may make you feel anointed. Of course, you're going to lose some weight, man. You know? And then you start to, then, and you know the funny thing about this thing? This thing is pride, man. After those days, after we have knocked our fasting, we will not keep our spiritual shoulders up. <laughs> we keep our spiritual shoulders up. Look at you. Do you know where, do you know where we are coming from? Hmm? And man likes those things because he feeds the flesh. When we talk about grace, it scares them because the grace of God brings every man to an equal footing. All of us, na dash, na dash us. I cannot come. If me and this man go somewhere, me and Brostan, Waka go somewhere, and somebody happens to say, man, look, I want you guys to be different. And the guy gives us a billion dollars each. Somebody say amen. <laughs> don't when I call big money, don't be afraid because it will come with ease and grace. A man who has to sacrifice his body, his health to get money, that man is poor. No, for us, it comes with ease and grace. So, watch this. So, they dash me one billion, dash this man one billion. Did you know that to this man? I'm not fit do guy for him. Is that true? Now you are going to do guy for because you don't know how the thing take come. But this man, I will never do guy for him. I can never think that I'm better than this man. Because as he take get him, now so me I take get him. Friend, this is why people run away from grace. Because it brings all men to the same level. And they don't like it. Oh, the flesh of man does not like that. I want to walk into the church like I'm better than you. I want to make, give you that idea that I am special to God. I am called of God, separated by God, even from my mother's womb. But you, you just a try. And that's why believers never come to the reality of what we've been called into. And so they have more faith in a man's prayer than they have in theirs. They have more, more, more uh, they believe. And guess what it does? It turns, turns to idolatry. We start to idolize men. Friend, listen to me carefully. We've got to understand. And I'm laying these foundations because, remember, I'm trying to talk to you about the reality of prayer. Now, listen to this carefully. It will be an error for you and I to be continue to relate with God in the same way it was done before. Now, for you to understand what I'm saying, I want to create a picture in your mind that should be clear. Number one, there is something that is called before the cross. And there's something that is called after the cross. There's a way we related with God before the cross. Now that the cross has been accomplished, we are post the cross. We are after the cross. 
For example, before the cross, God never dwelled in any man. Man was still in his sins. God just used men and walked with them. The spirit of God will come upon them. They will do something. And after the walk, the spirit of God leaves. God could not dwell in any man. Because man was still in his nature of sin. That was before the cross. Before the cross, we worshipped a God that was far off. We depended on the Holy Ghost that has to come and go. That is before the cross. But after the cross, the will and the purpose and the plan and the intention of God was fulfilled at the cross. What God had always wanted is to become one with man. And then after the cross, that is now our reality. Somebody say amen. So, before the cross, God was somewhere. But after the cross, where is he? He's one with us. Somebody say a loud amen. amen. Now, it would be a total error for us to continue to relate with God as if he is somewhere else. He would deny us the realities of what Christ has done. If we are still praying to a God in the sky, and we don't acknowledge the one that is in us. Question. What is it that the cross did that made it possible for God to dwell in man? What was that? What was it? What was the significant achievement of the cross that made it possible for God to dwell in man? Because at the cross, Sin was once and for all dealt with. Now, because sin has been dealt with, the Holy Ghost cannot dwell in an unholy temple. The mark of the cross is that at the cross, all of my sins was completely, totally, and absolutely, irreversibly exterminated. And now, before the cross, I was a sinner. After the cross, I am no longer a sinner. I am the righteousness of God. Where? In Christ Jesus. Until you understand this demarcation. So, now, remember, it's prayer I want to talk about. We cannot be after the cross and be praying as if we are before the cross. When a man is teaching you something about God, what you need to ask, no matter how many fire that is coming out of his mouth, what you need to ask, is this message placing me before the cross or after the cross? Don't forget. You've got to know this. When I sing songs, I ask myself, this song, is it before the cross or after the cross. Don't forget, before the cross, we were all sinners. And so, in order to deal with sin, what did God tell the Jews? He gave them a structure of worship, a worship system, in order to deal with their sins. And he said to them, here is the temple. This is a temple. And then, when you sin, of course you will sin. Carry goat 
or sheep and go and sacrifice to cover your sin before the cross. And the Bible said they had to do that year after year because the only way to deal with sin is blood. I hope you know that. That has to be clear. See, Oga, I know some people are, you are not used to this message, so you don't understand what we're saying. See, to tell God, Father, eh, eh, I'm sorry for that and I did, does not solve sin. It does not. Sorry is a man's language. In the sight of God, what cures sin is blood, because a life must be given for sin. But blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lamb of God made the sacrifice for me. Somebody say amen. amen. He made that sacrifice for me. But watch this. They had to do it over and over in order to cover their sins. But look up here. And Jesus shows up and he says, you know what guys, let me really tell you the truth. You know, God was not really interested in that your sacrifice. They say, eh? He said, God did not take pleasure in your, the fat of your arms. But they were asked to do it. So, look up here. The idea of God that when you sin finish, you go and carry ram. Kill the ram and then burn the ram and then the smoke will go up. And then God will sit in heaven and be smelling the suya bone. After he smells it, he says, ah, barbecue. You barbecue roast the goats. You know? <laughs> you roast the goats. Yeah, man. And then God smells it. First of all, physically, self. That your smoke, if they pass heaven, your smoke doesn't go anywhere. But God asked them to do it. Why? Why was that? Why did God ask them? Jesus came and said, God was not interested in your offering. But they were commanded to do it. I began to ask the Lord why. Listen to this. It was for their own consciousness, not for God. Why? When you carry your sheep, and go and give the priest. And the priest kills it. And you watch the smoke go up. You go believing that your sins are forgiven. It was for their sake. God is not in heaven smoking barbecue smoke. No. It was for their sake. They had to see that. When they saw that, they go home. Because God wants to. Listen to me carefully. And this is why. We have to come to the place of absolute assurance of what the cross did to our sins. Because God wanted them to have that temporary assurance. Because they had to do it year after year. Just to make sure that in their heart they believe that them are God, are cool, they're okay with God. Any man who gives you an idea that God is angry at you, pack your back and run. Because if your eyes open to see how damaging that thing is to your spirit, you know what I'm talking about. God wanted him to feel at peace. And he gave them an ordinance. Now, but you and I are no longer under that ordinance. Somebody say a loud amen. Why is that? The Bible says by one sacrifice, by offering himself once and for all, he has perfected me. Somebody say loud amen. amen. And so before the cross, we were sinners. After the cross, a man to be born again is to become one with the cross. That means you, when he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised, after the cross, you were raised. You cannot be here and be a sinner. So why do you want to connote to pray like a sinner? That's the question. Before we went to church and we began, Father, 
You know we are sinners. Please forgive us our sin. By saying that, you are denying the cross. You are denying the cross with your own mind. Father, you know we are a sinner. Please, please. Only me or not to. You know, that's how my mom. That's how my mom used to say it, you know. You have to see it in the way it touches you. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, and then you cry, you plead with God, Lord. I know I'm a sinner. Please, if we have sinned by mistake, knowingly or knowingly, first we we'll come. But that's how we started every prayer. Is that true? Yeah. That means we are removing ourselves from Christ. Because to call myself a sinner is to deny the cross. Because at the, the meaning of the cross is that all of my sins, past, present, and future, he dealt with them once and for all. At the side of this cross, I stand as a man who is as righteous as his father. Because the righteousness I have is not my own. It's his own that he gave to me. Somebody say loud, amen. He gave me his righteousness. He gave me his. So when I stand before Satan, before witches and wizards, that's where there is no fear in your heart because they cannot find oh Jesus. The Bible says that the enemy come to, came to Jesus and could not find anything in him. That state is where we stand now. Because the righteousness I have is his own. He gave to me free of uh, charge. That's why they don't like grace. I would prefer to show you that I am more righteous than you are. But that's a man's system. God has absolutely nothing to do with those systems. Any system that tries to disqualify you. Don't, don't forget, the Bible said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. They told us to use that scripture to bind Satan. Read well. It wasn't Satan Jesus was talking about. It was false prophets. They are the ones who come, carry Bible, to push to you. How can you say you are righteous? They want to steal Christ away from you. They want to steal your identity. They want to poke holes at your identity. You say, God is love. They say, no, no, no. Say it's small, small. If you talk I'm like that, people will become, are you okay? Are you even thinking? You have to be a slave. Your heart has to be full of darkness to think that way. And like as I say to people, if you hear me talk about the grace of God, and the first thing that comes to your mind is, Shall we continue in sin by grace, my Lord? It's because you are a slave of sin. You are a slave of sin. Sin has captured you. Sin is your master. Sin is in your consciousness. Sin is consistently in your thoughts. So when you hear grace, you respond by sin. Friend, be careful. Any man who tries to put you before the cross is an enemy. Because that's where we lost. That's how we lost everything. All that Christ has done. Because we are after the cross. But we are being put back before the cross. Even in our prayers. And you have to understand that. And so if I come to God. And keep saying. And then. And then all this. That's how they build all these doctrines. And then when I talk about it. Somebody says. No, no, no. You know. You know hey, yeah, you know. How can you say that? How can you say why would I not say that? The reason I can say that is because as he is, so I am. If he is righteous, I am. It's as simple as that. When you know this, Satan runs away from you. Somebody say a loud amen. amen. Don't forget, his work is to accuse you. To condemn you. 
and to bring you to a place of weakness. But once you start to stand at your place after the cross, don't forget, you and I are not standing before the cross. We are standing where? Outside of the cross. All of the promises and the prophecies of the scripture is to point us to the cross. Everything that was done from Genesis until Christ came was to point us to the cross. To look onto the cross. And so, faith, even at that time, means looking at the coming of the cross. Faith, at that time, means looking at the coming of the cross. That's why the Bible gave us the example in Hebrews 11, where it says what? Faith is the substance of things worked for the evidence of something you have not seen it but you are living in the reality of it what was he talking about the coming of christ moses saw the coming of christ it was real to him he changed his life they lived as if christ had come that's what faith was for them but for you and i we are not hoping for christ to come he has already come We are not praying for him to come. We are not praying for the, pro for the prophecies to be fulfilled. Because it has already been fulfilled. Now we've got the life. The problem with church is tradition. They like to hold on to tradition. Our ancestors did it this way, so we have to do it this way. They will go back to try to pattern themselves according to Elijah the prophet. Who lived before the cross. You see? That's the problem. They want to hold on to tradition. So when you speak about prayer. Prayer in the way that prayer should be real and realistic. They say no, 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 no. What, what are you talking about prayer? Don't forget before the cross. It was flesh based. Everything was flesh based. So it had to search your flesh. Prayers has to be very long. You have to deny your physical body. And yet, it didn't change any of them. Did it? It never changed any of them. It could not save them. If he could not look up now, if he could not save them that time, is it now that it will save you and I? It could not save any man. That's why Christ came. Now, now I need you to get this picture very clearly. Because what you are struggling here is holding on to tradition. And most of those traditions were established before the cross. For example, the disciples of Jesus came to him and said, Master, teach us how to pray. Was that before the cross or after the cross? So before the cross, he says to them, pray in this manner, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Look at what he says, the kingdom come. After the cross, he says to them, the kingdom is now in you. So if you are still praying for the kingdom to come, what does that do? It denies you from living in the reality of the kingdom that is here. Let me ask you this question, beloved. Think. Just think about it. Just think about it. Do you think that God is more interested in a ritual than he will be in a continued relationship with you? You think God is interested in how ritualistic you are? than building a flowing, a life-giving relationship. People get more concerned about rituals. They fight over rituals. 
not the flowing life. They say, eh, that church, ah. Because when you hear prayer, and that's part of what this message is, don't forget, I'm just laying the foundations today. So when you hear, the, when you hear prayer, you've got to think of prayer after the cross, not before the cross. Remember, God does not change. What has changed is that what God wanted to do, he has already done. Somebody say amen. Listen, the result of this is that you see a righteous man praying as if he's a sinner. You see a man who is blessed praying as if he's cursed because he does not understand before the cross, all men were cursed. Didn't matter who you were. Because the cross could all be only be lifted by the cross. But after the cross, we have been set free. Before the cross, Satan had authority over man. After the cross, he has lost his authority over your life. But have you seen people wrestling as if they are before the cross? They used to organize programs, the prayer of Jabez. <laughs> <laughs> and then we raised free people to pray like they're in bondage. Free people. We raise people who are blessed. Look up here. When you go to a place and they start to tell you circumstances to prove that somebody's cursed. Look up here. The actual curse is accepting that you are cursed. Did you know that? The actual curse is accepting that you are cursed. Now you think like a cursed person. Now you pray like a cursed person. Now you relate to God as a cursed person. Before you start something, you are wondering whether to walk because you, you will believe that you are cursed. Accepting that is where the curse is. Don't forget, look up here. How were how did Satan confuse Adam and Eve? It was to give to them, give them a what? Knowledge. And now you are struggling, looking for who will deliver you. Sir, if the cross did not deliver us, what else is good enough to deliver us? If what Christ did on the cross did not set you free, okay? What else? Don't forget the Pharisees that were reading this morning, they did those things more than you. Whatever the cross of Christ could not solve, or can you not solve them? Just think. Sometimes sit down and think. If God himself coming down to die for you did not bless you, what else is going to bless you? If he did not set you free, what else is going to set you free? If the cross of Christ failed to set you free, you can never be free. If the cross of Christ did not bring a man to a place of blessedness, we can never be blessed. Because that's the best that God has. Somebody say amen. In giving us Christ, he didn't give us things, he gave us himself. So if God giving you himself is not good enough to make you blessed, man can truly not be blessed. And this is why we got to preach the reality of the cross until it starts to change things. Now, the problem with this is this. Don't forget, I'm going to prayer. 
the kind of prayers we pray actually strengthen our unbelief. It strengthens our unbelief instead of it bringing us to the place of clarity. The kind and type of prayers we pray strengthens our unbelief. That's number one. It makes us unbelievers. For example, I've already said, if I wake up in the morning, instead of lifting up my hands and say, Father, thank you, for you have made me perfectly righteous. I stand in the reality of your finished work. Thank you. And I start to say to God, Father, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. What does that do? It strengthens my unbelief. Man is more interested in rituals. God is not interested in ritual. God is interested in a flowing life with you. In a fellowship that always flows. Whether you are sleeping, you are waking up, you are preaching, you are doing whatever. No, there's a constant fellowship because you are always one with him. Don't pray the prayers that strengthen your unbelief. Now, we are not playing down the importance of prayer. That's why I'm teaching on this. But we've got to understand because the worst that can happen to any man is to be praying the prayer that removes you from where you are to where you have been saved from. Does that make sense to anybody here? And this is why the African man knows how to pray. Ooh, we can kabash for hours. The African man knows how to pray because for him is the ritual that is important. Is the ritual. And that's how we measure spiritual life. You say, ah, you before, bro, Stan, your, your spiritual life used to be on fire. And what are they talking about? You say, ah, you know, you used to pray for seven hours. You used to read your Bible. Ah. You see, what are they describing? They are not describing a relationship. They are describing rituals. And it used to be, the more you can do those rituals, then the more spiritual you are. And then you start to deal with those people. You find out that some of them, sorry, are completely empty heads. Sorry to say, but it's true. Have you seen that before? Empty heads. No life in them. No life. They are more confused than people who are not reading the Bible. Nothing. Because they became experts in rituals. Don't forget, these rituals were at their peak before Christ came. No. He came to give us a life. Somebody say, Lord, Amen. It is called spiritual life because it's a life to be lived. The way I live my life. Am I living a spiritual life or by the flesh? That's the question. It's a life that ought to be lived. It's a life that flows from him to me, outside of me, from him to you, outside of It's a life. Jesus says it this way. He says, I came to give you life to the fullness until it overflows. And so, we got to take a hold of our life after the cross. Don't forget, this is what I need to hammer over and over. You have to know that you and I, if you are here, you are born again. And if you are not born again, all you have to do is where you are sitting, you say, Father, Jesus, today I take your death as my death. When you died, I died. I accepted that it's mine. When you were buried, I was buried. When you were raised, I was raised. And you were born again. And immediately you are put after the cross. 
Look up here. The only thing that is holding me and you is that for many of us, our mind is still before the cross. And that's why we teach. To move your mind from before the cross to after the cross. Somebody say loud amen. amen. The second thing he does, not only does it strengthen our unbelief, for you to be praying as a man before the cross will deny you the reality of what you have. To be praying as a man before the cross. Father, make me righteous. Father, show us your mercy. Show us your mercy. Show us your mercy. If you are saying that, you are waiting for God to show you mercy. Isn't it true? <laughs> ah. Before you got here, before even your leg enter here, the Bible said, his mercies are new every morning. I don't ask him for mercy. I thank him because more than the mercy I will ever need, he has already provided. What we do is to acknowledge all the good things that he has done. Because if you continue to pray that prayer, you are denying the reality of what you have. Don't say, look up here. Don't say, ah, no, 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 just pray. No, just pray. <clears throat> it's not a small matter. Because some of them deny Christ. Some of them deny you what you have. Instead of you accepting and acknowledging where you are, you are postponing it to the future. They say, you know, God is good. Everybody says amen. All right. You know, he wants to bless you. But you know, there are some kind of praise and worship that will just provoke him. Some kind of, ah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a way you praise, you praise God, eh? Ah, he will just start to react. He can't resist it. You are thinking God is your village king. That's your problem. If God reacts like that, he's no different from a man. Are you understanding me? He's no different from a man. Now, I don't want to worship a God like that. So, any day where I don't praise that, you go verse. That's what it means, right? If it's my praise that excites him. So, when I don't praise him, what will happen? Answer me. You know, go charge up. The God that needs to be charged. Eh? He needs to be charged up. <laughs> Why do we praise him, friend? Let me tell you, when you get, when you understand what I'm talking to you about, you go to bed praising and wake up praising. Somebody say, Lord, amen. amen. And it's so sweet. And the prayer you're struggling to pray, pray becomes a life-flowing prayer. It's not a struggle. It's life-flowing. It's so exciting that you don't want to stop. In fact, there's no stopping. Because you pray when you want to pray and pray even when you're unconscious. When you're unconscious, you're praying. It makes sense what the Bible says, pray without ceasing. No, it's not that stuff we're doing. It's a flowing life. There's a consciousness, a place of fellowship you are with God. You're always talking to him. All the time. You're always speaking with him. You're always speaking Psalms. There's a joy flowing from your heart. You will get there in the name of Jesus. If you're not there already, you'll get there. That's what I'm sharing with you, friend. And so it's a lifestyle. It's something that we do, not a ritual that we keep. 
Now, I want you to understand this over and over. This is important that you check the words of your prayer. Does it put you before the cross or after the cross? Don't forget, I've given you the examples. A man who says to you, if you do one, two, three, four, if you can do this and do it like this and do it like this, and then God will bless you, that man is putting you before the cross. So that means you are not blessed. And now suddenly, you are looking for what to do so that after you have done it, God will not look at it and is pleased with it. And then he will not come and bless you. The things I know now, eh, I come to ask, so how did I even believe this is before? <laughs> that ruled my life for 19 years. You know? How did I even believe this is before? Men gave us a wrong picture. And that's what God is claiming. Somebody say a loud amen. Is this being helpful to anybody here this morning? Now, listen to me. Friends. So, we are not saying, no, don't pray. No, we're asking you, what are you praying for? What, is the, what are you praying for? What is the prayer in the first place? If you are asking God to do something that he has, has already done, are you wasting your time? I don't, each time, when we, from the first time we began this ministry, I began to say to everybody, I preach and teach to you so that you will not be frustrated with God. And this is why a lot of believers are frustrated. They pray and they pray and they pray and they pray and it looks like God is not answering. And then suddenly they start to wonder what is going on. They start to wonder. And then we give them rules and more rules and more reasons. There are a lot of people, I say this all the time and it's true. There's a lot of people lifting up their hands this Sunday morning but their heart is far away from God. Because they can't, they can't make sense out of it. How can I be praying and praying and praying and praying and then God has not heard me? Let me conclude by telling you something that you should be aware of. And I think this will help not just here, but to anybody who will hear this message. If you know the number of Christians, I'm talking about Christians, who today are childless because of, because of what I'm telling you, you'll be shocked. Because they were told that God sits in heaven with babies. And as you are, you know, having a sexual intercourse, he looks down and he's pleased. And then he gives you a baby. He said, Babies come from heaven. And so, when you don't have it, what do you do? You continue to pray to God to give it to you. Is that true? And then I began to question God. Because I've seen couples. They have the money to take care of children. They are couples in church serving God to their best. But God is not blessing them yet. But then, I hear the story where a 15-year-old girl was brutally raped. And then this unknowing God in heaven takes a baby and says, take it. I said, God, is that how, is that how you walk? I want to, if that's how you walk, I need to understand. 
Here is a couple married in church, believing God, making all the sacrifice, and God throws his hand. Ashawo, Ashawo. Listen to me, listen to me. Who is in a hotel drinking all manner of concussion to make sure that she doesn't take him? The week she doesn't drink it, God Almighty will take baby and give. Knowing fully well that that baby may be aborted. Fornication is sin, they say. Adultery is sin. And God sits in heaven. He sees people committing abundance of fornication and adultery. The holy God will take baby and bless them. That means he's blessing their sin. Adulterers, fornicators. There are people, the worst news, the worst news in their life is that you're pregnant. Because they don't want it. Teenagers fooling by themselves. They don't even know what they are doing. They're just fooling their body. And then this wise God looks at them. He says, okay, take baby. Oh, Jesus. And so you hear, see these couples praying to God, wondering, listen to me, friends. Not having the baby is one thing, but believing that it is God who has not given it to you is more killing. Because you ask God over and over, what thing I can do? Is my own sin greater than anybody? What have I done wrong? And they say, keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep asking. There's a mad woman in the junction to my village. She lives in a filling station and she's producing babies right there. She's a mad woman. No, I'm not. It, can I say this on camera? The, the, the older daughters will tell you, is those mobile police people that used to come and give my mom belly? They will tell you. In that condition, the God that knows all things will give a baby to be born by a mad woman, knowing what that means to the baby that was born. Have you ever asked these questions in your heart before? You got to ask. You got to ask. The, way, the reason God helps me is because I know I'm a son, so I can, I can ask my father questions. Father, are you really like this? This thing they said is like, is it really true? Is it really true? Is it really true that that's how you walk until you start to find the answers? Listen to me. The reason I'm saying this, I'm using this because of prayer, how prayer works. Because if you have the wrong understanding, you pray wrong. And it complicates situations for you. How many of you know that children are blessings from God? How many of you know that? Children are blessings from God. They come from God. But the question is how? 
How did they come from God? Listen to me carefully. Everything that God has created, every human being that God has created, in them already, God has put the ability and capacity to reproduce. The blessing is comes with the man or the woman. This is why whether you pray or not pray, if the condition is met, belay will occur by default. That is why it doesn't matter whether it's rape. It doesn't matter whether it's with a mad woman. It doesn't matter whether it's fornication or adultery. It doesn't matter. Because inside of our bodies, the blessings to reproduce is already there, present. In abundance. Not only with the humans, even with the animals. Not only with the animals, even with the trees. I don't know where you have seen animals holding night vigil for, for burning women. For the burning of them. Monkeys will burn and burn and burn. Now you go come to them and say, you don't do Come on, the leader will watch you. God is so good. That is why, even if you are an atheist, even if you are an atheist who says there's no God, if that condition is met, the law will come out. And all those nonsense will stop because it stops people from enjoying the fullness of God. Now, if pregnancy does not occur, listen to me carefully, something is wrong with that process. The day you correct that, it will happen. Yes, sometimes it may be psychological. Sometimes it may be biological, medical. See, all those nonsense of doctors have checked me and they say nothing is wrong. It's a lie. The proof that something is wrong is that the babies has not come. It's better to them for them to say we have not found out what the problem is. Because don't you realize, if I'm not a medical person, but some of them are here, don't you realize that the advice a medical person is giving you is based on the fullness of their training. There's a sickness you have. You need somebody else with an advanced knowledge of that. Is that true? No, we are waiting for the Lord. They have checked us, nothing is wrong. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. May this deliver somebody in the name of Jesus. Oh no, somebody else somewhere has been delivered. They will hear this message. They will answer their questions. They will bring them to a place of peace. They will hear this message. Listen to me carefully. For you to say that, say, oh no, we are just believing God. What are you believing God for? It could be psychological. It could also be spiritual. Let me give you an example of what I mean, that it could be spiritual. I was listening to a man of God that I know. And he said he was preaching. And what was he preaching about? The forgiveness of sins. He was preaching about the total eradication, eradication of sins. He was preaching about this so much. 
He said that the sister passed out under her chair as he was preaching. He came back to the same church sometime later and the sister came to him with a baby. Said before that they had been married for 10 years. I could not conceive, she said. Because when I was younger, I had an abortion. It doesn't matter what anybody says to me. Listen to me carefully. That's why I said it could be psychological, it could be spiritual, it could be anything. This is why we have to preach this gospel so that people are healed from the inside. The guilt and condemnation of that, watch this, can prevent somebody from conceiving. That guilt and that condemnation can prevent that. And she says, as I heard you preach, for the first time in my life, I had a sense that I had been completely forgiven. See this partial forgiveness. It forgives you like this, but remember this one. It keeps people in bondage. And then here you are praying, struggling. From where you have been delivered from, you are struggling. Listen, friend. You are supposed to be ministers. After you listen to this, you go out and be ministers to people. Somebody say, Lord, amen. Sit down with them. Hold your hands and pray. And speak words to them. Let their mind be at the right place. You see what will happen. You see what will happen. Because it is the will of God that will produce. And that will is so strong that he has engineered it inside of us. I give you this example today to show you how not having understanding there are a lot of people who this thing has prevented from having children. Because they say, doctor have looked at us. Nothing is wrong. So it's God that we're waiting for. And year after year, they keep waiting for God, praying for God to happen. God will be so much a mean God. And if he will give pregnancy in case of rape and deny it or withhold it to a couple who are desiring and praying for it. When we speak against religion, this is why. It's not because we're against anybody, but we're against the doctrines and ideas that has kept men in bondage. That's what we're doing. So when you hear the gospel, when you hear the gospel, when you understand the gospel, your heart is free. Finally, you stand in a place of light. Haven't you asked yourself, why do we have programs for barren women and no program for impotent men? Have you asked yourself? Have you seen a program before? Have you ever seen before? And some of those cases, if you examine the man, the problem is coming from the man. And here the woman is hoping from one prophet to another. Being abused in the house of Satan because she's looking for a baby. This is the gospel we've been sent to preach. This is the gospel that you preach. And when you're done, you hold your hands and prophesy over them so that their bodies is your Somebody say, Lord, amen. amen. I will continue with this teaching. I just laid the foundation. The question you must ask in all that you do, are you before the cross or after the cross? Is your prayer before the cross 
or after the cross? The way you see yourself, is it before the cross or after the cross? Have you been blessed today? Are you sure you've been blessed? Come on, let's celebrate Jesus in the house. Hallelujah. Let's celebrate Jesus.